0: if you would, to Isaiah chapter 6, <clears throat> Isaiah chapter 6 and Matthew chapter 7. We're going to start in, in Matthew, so go to Isaiah, uh, put your ribbon there, uh, connection card, something to mark your spot, because we're going to be flipping back and forth uh, between Matthew chapter 7 and Isaiah chapter 6. Um, But we're going to, like I said, we're going to start in Matthew chapter 7, so uh, hopefully it'll be a a blessing to you this morning. Uh, um, Recently, uh, uh, well, uh, on Sunday nights, uh, we've been going through the Sermon on the Mount and um, actually we're almost done with it. It's three chapters: Matthew chapter five, six, and seven. And uh, we're we're almost done with it. But uh, in a few weeks ago, in Matthew chapter seven, uh, I preached a message that is very familiar to to many of you, if you as you have read the Bible and probably heard several messages on it. Uh, but the I, I preached on the parable of the beam and the moat uh, in. Uh, Let's start reading in Matthew chapter seven, in verse one. The Bible says, "Judge not, that ye be not judged. For what, uh, for with what judgment ye judge, ye shall be judged, and uh, with what measure ye meet, it shall be measured to you again. And why beholdest thou the mote that is in thy brother's eye?" But consider not the beam that is in thine own eye, or how wilt thou say to thy brother, Let me pull out the mote out of thine eye, and behold, a beam is in thine own eye. Thou hypocrite, first cast out the beam out of thine own eye, and then thou shalt, uh, uh, and then thou uh, shalt. Uh, see clearly to cast out the moat out of thy brother's eye. Dear Lord, thank you for this day. Thank you for your love and for the, the work that you do in our lives. And this morning is no different. And Lord, we trust that you will once again uh, work in our hearts and lives and and Lord help us to understand ourselves a little bit better and how you see us. Thank you uh, for your love. Thank you for your patience with us. Lord, help us to walk with you. For it's in Christ's name we pray. Amen. When we uh, read this parable, we tend to um, miss the point of this parable. And I, and I some of this, uh, if you were uh, in church a few Wednesday nights ago, the, the beginning of our message this morning will be very familiar to you. Um, But uh, we tend to miss the point of the parable. Oftentimes, people think that the parable is about judgment. uh, And that's not correct. That is not what this parable is about. The emphasis is not on judging. The emphasis here is on cleaning or clearing our own hearts and lives. That's what the emphasis is here. clearing our lives of sin. Jesus tells it here uh, in verse 5. He says, Thou hypocrite, uh, first cast out the beam that is in thine own eye, and then thou shalt see clearly to cast out the mote out of thy brother's eye. So the the emphasis here is not on judging, but on clearing or cleaning our lives. And this is really important that we get a hold of that because... If we will self-judge ourselves, then we will see things in our lives that need to change. And that is the whole point of this this parable. Once the debris, if you would, is removed from our lives, then we are then clear to help someone who's struggling. The beam that is mentioned here in Scripture is for lack of better terms it's a structural beam this is not a small piece of wood it is it is considered a beam uh, that would um, uh, be used to be a main support in a building okay again this is a large piece of wood the word moat here is is makes reference to a speck or a splinter. So what Jesus is saying here is oftentimes we as believers have this huge piece of wood sticking out of our eye and we're we're more concerned about a piece of sawdust in somebody else's eye when we have this huge beam sticking out of our own eye. Jesus paints an incredibly absurd picture for us. Because, I mean, when you stop and realize or think about the absurdity of this, walking around with this huge beam sticking out of your eye, and you're going to be critical of someone who's got a little piece of sawdust in their eye. I mean, that's absurd. But obviously it's a problem because Jesus addresses the problem. And so often we we see problem with other people and we fail to see our own. And Jesus here is is very clearly talking and saying, hey, before you start judging other people, take care of your own life. Once you're your life is free from structural beams, then you are able to help other people. A guy named John Phillips wrote this. Whatever fault we see in other people's lives may be a mere splinter compared with the massive beam of our own lack of love. There is nothing more un- excuse me, let me start again. There is nothing more unchristian than a critical spirit. Once a person gets rid of his useless piece of lumber, he is able to clearly see how he can help his brother get rid of a damaging splinter. And I like what he said. He compares the, the... beam sticking out of our uh, out of our eyes as a lack of love for other people the truth is this we must be able to see clearly in order to help other people that's that's just the truth of it Earlier in the Sermon on the Mount, in in, in Matthew chapter 6, Jesus uses the eye to teach us a very important spiritual truth about ourselves. In in Matthew chapter 6, in verses 22 and 23, it says, The body is the light, uh, excuse me, the light is the body... I'm trying to read too fast. Excuse me. The light of the body is the eye. If, there be, if, if therefore thine eye be single, thy whole body shall be full of light. But if thine eye be evil, thy whole body shall be full of darkness. If therefore the light that is in thee be darkness, how great is that darkness. The eye is the revealer of the soul. Back when Jesus was alive, they, 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 they believed that the eye was the, the gateway to the soul. So the significance here is great. We must not pass judgment on, on, on people's motives we can't we can't see the heart of individuals. We can see their actions, and oftentimes we can we can be the um, uh, recipients of some bad attitudes, can we not? But we cannot see what is going on in the hearts of anybody. And oftentimes as we encounter uh, loved ones and family members and and friends, and so on and so forth, it's so easy for us to to become judgmental because we can't see what is truly happening on the inside. We need to be so very careful. God is the only one who can see the heart. And I'm convinced that God knows my heart better than I know my heart. I have a question for you. Can a person do good work? Man, no, I did actually. Yeah, man, I I I heard something, but man, okay. The question is this. Can a person do good works for the wrong reason, or even a bad attitude? Absolutely. See, well, all we see is the work. We can't see the attitude, or well, sometimes we can, but uh, not, you know, but we can't see the heart. God, now. God wants one thing from you and from from me this morning. Tomorrow morning and the day after and the rest of your life. There's one thing that God wants from you. That is your heart. That's what God wants from you. Those of you that know me know that I I don't preach on money. I don't preach on a lot of, of hot-button issues that a lot of pastors preach on. Because, and one of the reasons that I don't preach on money is because I this is my philosophy. If God has your heart, money is not an issue to you. It's that simple. And if I can teach Grace Baptist Church to be a people... With surrendered hearts and lives, the money will never be an issue. Does that make sense? Mm-hmm. See, I, I am I, I believe that God is far more concerned with your heart than He is your pocketbook or other areas in your life. And this morning's message has everything to do about our hearts. Because as we look at the the story of the uh, or the parable of the 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 beam and the moat, what is at the core of that parable? The heart. See, if we will take care of the sin in our own lives, then God will take care of the rest. In the book of Isaiah, go ahead and turn over to Isaiah. Isaiah chapter 6, and we'll be back and forth. So, in the book of Isaiah, we're going to look at three truths that I believe changed the heart of Isaiah. Isaiah lived in a very turbulent time, a time of great tension. Uh, we could say, in in many respects, that it was a time of world crisis. The the world was in it was it was a. If you understand history, it was one of the most turbulent times that the world has ever seen. This is the world that Isaiah lived in. A nation from the north had risen to world dominance. And they had they were slowly going and conquering the known world at the time. The the, the name of this nation were was the, the Assyrians. The Assyrians were a brutal, brutal, brutal people. They were absolutely ruthless to their captors. Their reputation was absolutely horrible. By the time Isaiah was on the scene, the Assyrians had already conquered the northern ten tribes of Israel and taken them captive. The Assyrians had assembled an army of 185,000 and had surrounded Jerusalem. Outside the walls of Jerusalem, the 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 city faced a an uh, a, the onslaught of the Assyrian army. This brutal brutal dictator, 185,000 soldiers surrounding the city of Jerusalem, and Hezekiah goes to God and prays, and God reassures Hezekiah that. Jerusalem would not fall to the Assyrians. Israel, for lack of better terms, was given a second chance. Or, well, I shouldn't say Israel, Judah, the, 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 the other two tribes, the northern ten tribes had already been taken captive. So the southern two tribes uh, <clears throat> were given a second chance to turn back from their sin. They were not living for God. But God was giving them a second chance to turn from their sins and repent. And Isaiah starts to preach repentance to the people. Isaiah is an interesting book. It's Some people consider Isaiah kind of a hard book to read but uh, because it was such a dark time in history and so much was going on. But Isaiah starts to preach repentance. Repentance from sin and he he gets very personal. And in chapter 5 of Isaiah, now we're not going to read it, but um, uh, I'm just telling you this. So if you want to, you can go back and read it six times in the, in the, in chapter 5 Isaiah uses the word woe w o e Let me read you an example in Isaiah chapter 5 and verse 8 it says woe unto them that join house to house <clears throat> that lay field to field till there be no place they excuse me that they may be uh, uh, uh place al- alone in the midst of the earth the word woe is an is a very interesting word the word means grief anguish affliction wretchedness calamity or trouble and it is it is not so much... Let me let me let me see how I can how I can phrase this. The word "woe" is a warning, a very stern warning. But it it's not the kind of warning you know when when um, uh, we as parents or grandparents when you know when our kids or grandkids are doing something we tend to you know stop you know it's it's not it's not quite like that it's it's something a little different it, it's almost kind of hard to put into words but it's it's more of a warning to the individual but at the same time it's a descriptive word if that makes sense it's a descriptive word of the heart of god So when Isaiah says, woe unto them that join house to house, or basically it's talking about covetousness here. And, 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 And what they're saying, is, it's a warning to the individuals to remind them that what they're doing is breaking the heart of God. A very powerful word. We don't really have anything in our vocabulary that describes this incredible word. But when it's used in Scripture, it is, it is a word of great power of, of hurt and anguish by God. Does, does that make sense? So when Isaiah is using this word, it is a word of great distress to God. And he's warning the the, the, the children of Israel, hey, you're hurting the heart of God because of your covetousness. That is a scary warning. Jesus uses the word in the, the New Testament multiple times. And a lot of times, not always, but a lot of times, he uses it in conjunction with the word hypocrite. In Matthew chapter 23 verse 27 it says woe unto you scribes pharisees hypocrites that's a that that is a scary statement it says for ye are like unto a whited sepulcher which indeed appears beautiful on the out outward but are within full of dead men's bones and of all uncleanness. What was, what was Jesus saying here to the Pharisees and the scribes? He uses the word woe. You are breaking the heart of God. You hypocrites. You, you live one way, but your heart is another way. You look good on the outside, but on the inside, you're full of dead men's bones. In other words, what is Jesus saying here? He is far more concerned about the heart than he is the outside. What is going on this morning in your heart? I can't answer that question. But what's going on in your heart right now? See, that's what Jesus is concerned about. Isaiah, he loved—he loved his country, he loved his people, and he wanted them to desperately turn from their sin and turn to God. The six woes that I talked—I talked about a minute ago. I'm—I'm I'm not going to read them for time's sake. It just takes too long. But I'm just going to give them to you, and you can go back and read them. Later, uh, the first one is the uh, the woe to uh, to the greedy, that the, the the passage that we read a little bit ago. Um, then he talks uh, the woe to the drunkards, woe to the mockers, woe to the perverted, woe to the self-conceited, and woe to the lawless. Then we come to chapter 6. And we're going to read one more woe in chapter 6. And when you understand what is going on in chapter 5 and in the world that day, during the time of Isaiah, the seventh woe is a powerful, powerful reminder to each of us. Let's start reading in Isaiah chapter 6, in verse 1. In the year that King Uzziah died, I saw also the Lord sitting upon a throne, high and lifted up, and His train filled the temple. Above it stood uh, <clears throat> the seraphims. Each one had six wings. With twain he did cover his feet, and with twain he did cover his uh, feet. And with twain he did fly. And one cried unto another, saying, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. The whole earth is full of his glory. And the posts of the doors moved at the voice of him that cried, and the house was filled with smoke. Then said I, Woe is me. With an exclamation mark. Woe is me. For I am undone because I am a man of unclean lips and I dwell in the midst of people with unclean lips. For mine eyes have seen the King, the Lord of hosts. The title of my message is this this morning A Changed Heart. A Changed Heart. Again, we're going to look at three things that I believe helped Isaiah with his heart transformation, if you would. But I want to point out this. Number one, he had a problem. He had a problem. If you don't get anything this morning, get this one, okay? Is everybody awake? Okay. All right. Please get this. Isaiah had a problem. It was a heart problem. Look at verse 5. Then said I, Woe is me. 21st century vernacular. Isaiah sees the seraphims flying around and uh, singing and praising God, saying, holy, holy, holy. And Isaiah is face to face with the Almighty. And he sees who he really is. And what does the word woe mean? the broken heart of God. 21st century vernacular is this. Isaiah says, I have broken the heart of God with my sin. Woe is me. As I... Sat in my office the other day as I was meditating and reading and studying, when the reality of what Isaiah was saying hit me, my first thought was woe is me! Woe is me. And I hope as you're sitting there listening to me right now, your thought is the same thing. It was not only the wicked the 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 drunkards and the idolaters and all of the things that we just talked about in chapter 5. It wasn't that. The problem was the heart of the people. See, what Isaiah was doing, Isaiah was making a critical error, I believe, a critical error. He was preaching about sin. Don't do this. Don't do this. Don't do this. Don't do this. But was he talking about, hey... Don't do this, but worship God. See, God is far more concerned about the heart than He is our actions. Because if He has our heart, our actions will follow suit. And Isaiah, the man of God, when he was face to face with the Holy God, he saw his sin. The way God sees His sin. The phrase "unclean lips," he says, "We," uh, um, <clears throat> um, he says, "Woe, woe is me, for I am undone because I am a man of unclean lips and in the midst of a people of unclean lips." That that phrase "unclean lips" is kind of an interesting phrase. It simply it simply means this that. When faced with the holiness of God, he was unable to talk. And he lived amongst the midst of people that when faced with the holiness of God, they too would be unable to talk because of their wickedness and their lives. there is a very important message here for each of, each of us. God wants us to take care of our own sin first. Matthew chapter 7, verse 3. And why beholdest the mote that is in thy brother's eye, but considereth not the beam that is in your own? See, God is far more concerned about you taking care of you so that then you could then help others. And Isaiah was no different. In fact, in fact, if you, again, are familiar with the Bible, there's a, there's a book of uh, Jeremiah. Jeremiah was another prophet. And, and in the book of Jeremiah, in multiple locations, uh, Jeremiah <clears throat> talks about the growth in his life as he, is, as he is a preacher, if you would, a prophet, and teaching the things of God, how God is continually working in his life. In Jeremiah, uh, you can read it uh, in chapter 11, 15, 19, 20, 26, 28, 32, 36, 37, 38, 39, 40, 41, 42, and chapters 45. Multiple times, Jeremiah is saying, hey, I'm still, I'm still working. God's still working in my life. God never gives up on us. So number one, he had a problem. Number two, he had to get rid of his sin. He had to get rid of his sin. Go back to Isaiah, if you if you left it. Isaiah chapter six and verse six. Then flew one of the seraphims unto me. Having a live coal in his hand, which he had taken with the tongues from off the altar. And he laid it upon my mouth and said, Lo, this has, has touched thy lips, and thy iniquity is taken away, and thy sin purged. See, what was Isaiah's greatest need? Isaiah's greatest need was not money or fame or anything like that. Isaiah's greatest need was the forgiveness of sin. Can you imagine coming face to face with Christ and you will one day? But in Isaiah's case here coming face to face and realizing you have unconfessed sin and you are unclean you, you 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 have nothing to say you don't even have the ability to say praise the Lord because of the sin in your life Isaiah Was purged. He was made clean. And this is a symbolic. Thing. I believe it's symbolic in the sense that when we pray and ask Jesus Christ to come into our hearts and lives, we are purged very much like the way uh, Isaiah is here. In First John chapter one, and verses three through nine, the Bible says this that which we have seen and heard, declare we unto you, that ye also may have fellowship with us. And truly, our fellowship is with the Father and with His Son Jesus Christ. And those, or excuse me, and these uh, things write we unto you, that your joy may be full. See, there, there, the the desire of God is that your joy be full. Not that you just be a happy person, but that your joy may be full. This then is the message which we have heard of Him. And declare uh, unto you that God is light and in Him is no darkness at all. If we say we have fellowship with Him and walk in darkness, we lie in the truth and do not the truth. But if we walk in the light as He is in the light, We have fellowship one with another and the blood of Jesus Christ, his son, cleanses us from all sin. If we say that we have no sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. Verse 9, if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Too often, I know believers that have trouble believing this verse. They, the Bible says here, and that if we will confess our sins, He is faithful and just to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. And I, I know, I know believers that that think that the word "cleanse" there means "cleaner," not "cleanse." Think about that for a second. If God is doing the cleaning, it's going to be clean. It's not going to be cleaner. That's the way I clean. That's why my wife don't let me. (laughs) A little hint for you guys. Uh, No, but seriously... But oftentimes, I've I've even done it in my own life and I know know believers, they'll go to God and they'll confess their sin and they'll walk away and and they still are struggling with it. Why? Because they, 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 they don't understand that God has cleansed them. And the reality is this, this is earth shattering here, okay? If God has forgiven you, guess what you need to do? You need to forgive yourselves but I can't tell you how many times I've heard this statement. The pastor, you have no idea what I've done. And the reality is this. I may not know what you've done, but I do know the God that I serve. And when he says he forgave you, guess what? You're cleansed. Now you need to forgive yourself. Isaiah chapter 1 and verse 8.